Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Wisdom from a dad. We've already heard some stories uh, uh, and some uh, little antidotes of what dad has meant to some of you, and uh, we're going to glean uh, this morning uh, uh, wisdom from a dad, and specifically from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in Proverbs chapter 3, 1 to 12. You know, I can easily remember uh, many things my father taught me. It does, it's one of the surprising things in life that, uh, that uh, the little things, or they seemed little at the time, you'd think, well, you'll never remember those things. Now, I remember some bad things, too, of, of my childhood, not in that regard in relation to my father, but uh, I remember those as well. But uh, the little things uh, and, and the life image and life message in his words, they come back to me. It, uh, it, it is really amazing how the mind doesn't forget. And uh, I, I thank the Lord for my father, his words, his life and his words to me. I cherish these uh, as a gift, for they have helped me along the way. They really have. Uh, some of your dads may have not been saved, but God uh, placed you in that family. No, he didn't make a mistake. Oh, Lord, am I in the wrong family? Never happened, and God had his purpose and place and, and still was able to teach you much, I trust, through that, even though they were imperfect and sinful and fallen, just like you, just like me, by nature were that way. I thought I made a quick list of just a few of the things that uh, Dad had taught me by his life and by his words, but most of these are by his words, but he illustrated it with his life. Number one, work hard, push yourself, work hard, push yourself. You can do more than you think you can. And his life illustrated that to me. Second, think. Use your noggin. Any of you use that expression? Think. Think. A lot of people run around and they haven't a thought in their head. Think. If this house were to burn down in three seconds, take the first two seconds, think of what you're going to do, and then execute on the last. Think. Number three, family is very important. My father grew up uh, in faraway place uh, in a military school as a, as a seventh grade boy. They shipped him out. Uh, his family fell apart, and he was raised uh, there. Imagine that. And went all the way through college there. And so uh, all he did was when he got married young then at 22, he uh, wanted to get married and have a bunch of kids because family is something he missed, and he just wanted a family. And uh, I'm the beneficiary, or at least part of that. Family, very important. Number four, respect your mother. If I hear you, you're in deep trouble. You respect your mother. I'm standing behind her. I got that picture cemented in me. And so we didn't lip off because dad was coming home. And uh, there was something to pay for that. Number four, spanking times, right? This hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, I never believed that, really. I thought, like, that's a, come on. But uh, until you have children of your own and you realize 
how you want the very best for them, and you want them to grow in grace and be everything, and to see that in the process of that, I understood. It may hurt physically the child more, but it, uh, it hurts deep within, but it's needful. And it, how about number six? Finish the job. Faith has a little quip on that. She sings all that, finish the job, finish the job, get things done, you know. Sounds like a good German family, doesn't it? <laughs> finish the job. Number seven, give attention to details. I told you how many times my father in woodwork would uh, use his, his rule or tape. He used the rule, a folding rule, and measure it. And only went to like eights. And he's measuring by 30 seconds. Cut it to the 32nd. I get, where is it? It's there. See it? Details count. Details count. Boy, what an important thing to learn. Number eight, be ambitious. What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to take care of your family? Go somewhere. Do something. Be the best you can. Be ambitious. In our family, that was really hella. Not sinful ambition, mind you. So don't be confused by that. But do something. Make your life count. Make an impact. Number nine, don't be afraid to try something. Aren't we a lot of times, oh my, I can't do this, I can't do that. Try it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, just a few of the things uh, my father uh, taught me by life and by his voice. Well, today, uh, Dad, uh, today is Father's Day, and we uh, certainly desire to honor your God-given role. You didn't dream it up. The culture didn't. Some uh, frog in the pond didn't. Uh, God did. He's the perfect father, and uh, God has given us a role to play as dads. You're dearly loved and admired. Your family needs, it's already mentioned, uh, Rachel mentioned, uh, your strength, your strength for character in your home, your strength uh, for protection, your strength for provision. You're the leader in your home, and in a small way, though you're finite, sinful, hopefully you're redeemed. You are a reflection of God our Father. You are. You say, it's just me, you know. I like eating popcorn, pizza, and watching the ball game. Yeah, but there are a lot of people that are counting on you. They are. And they're looking for you, and they need you. Don't be AWOL. I know what that is to say, well, it's just me. I'm nothing special. Yes, you are. You're the leader in your home. In fact, if you read the uh, early literature, my job as a pastor teacher was to train the men to be pastors in their home. That's, that's how you really measure whether a pastor's doing the job. Are the dads in the home, the shepherds, the under-shepherds, uh, to, uh, to their loved ones? Do they know what it is to take the word and to direct their family? Do they know what it is to pray and to cover their family with prayers and to lead them in godly ways? You are to be the pastor in your home. So I, in a way, I sort of am working myself out of a job. That seems to be the, the teaching of Scripture on that. Well, the second best known portion of Proverbs, um, uh, the book of wisdom, finds a godly dad instructing his children. What do you think is the best known portion? If anyone knows anything about the book of Proverbs, what do they know? What do they know? Just quickly. It's not a brain teaser. Are you with me here? Where? Well, that's chapter 1. That begins that way, Paul. But what would be the, the biggest section that people would know? Yeah, that's right. Godly, were you here for Mother's Day? Proverbs 31. Most people know the virtuous, wonderful woman, who, and there is a wife, 
and they know that. Well, Proverbs 3, in, in my estimation, is the second best known uh, passage of the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom. And here we find wisdom being taught from a father to a son, a father to his children, and that's what we're going to look at today. It's important for us to examine the curriculum of this instruction and to impress these same truths upon our children. A couple of uh, old illustrations. I'm going to bring them up because they move me so much, and if you uh, tire of hearing them, uh, uh, then let me know later. No, don't let me know later. But uh, these, these mean a great deal to me, and I blow the dust off, and uh, I look for new ones, but they, they don't seem to be as good as... A little, league, a little leaguer uh, outfielder stood in the hot afternoon sun eagerly awaiting the next play, and sure enough, a lined drive whizzed by the pitcher and made its way directly to the boy. The coach and the team watched in horror as he missed the ball. That was me when I was a little eager in the outfield. While stumbling around, it became apparent to everyone in the whole place that he was disoriented and he never saw the ball coming. Later in the dugout, his coach asked what happened. Blushing, the little boy looked at the ground and admitted he had not been paying attention to the game. When asked why, his reply was simple. I was looking in the stands for my dad. He promised he would come. Whether young or old, boy or girl, many of us still look in the stands for our father and consider his presence and his input in our life to be one of the most precious and wonderful gifts in life uh, in total. Well, there are four essentials that come to us Dad, uh, that come to us, they're actually commands in the Hebrew, four essentials, we'll call them essentials, that you, Dad, must teach your children so that they might be blessed. Children are the living messages that we send to a time which we cannot go, and they will be blessed if the normal course of uh, life follows, and it's not always normal. But uh, your children will outlive you. And if they hear your words, and if your words reflect these words, and, and they're filled and chuck full of Scripture, then they will live the fruit of that and enjoy that while you're long gone in just a memory in a faraway place called heaven. So four essentials. For the reality is, Dad, that no one, no one can take your place in the hearts and lives of your children. No one. There are no substitute hitters here that can step, no designated hitters or base runners. It's you. You must do the job. Well, Solomon makes a strong appeal in our, our text in chapter 3, uh, a strong appeal for his son to follow his teaching. Let's look at that and read some of the verses. Look at verse three, verse, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. We'll get the benefit, for they'll prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. But love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. We'll pick up it, pick the rest of it later. But look at the, uh, uh, the, uh, the benefit, the blessings that will follow. The dad's words are heeded. Wonderful. 
longevity and prosperity. It's, prosperity is the word shalom or in the Hebrew for peace, or it means all is well. And what could be more pros- prosperous than that? Wow. Favor with God and a good reputation with men. Wow. That's the role you play, and no one else can play it. Cal Thomas, a number of years ago, uh, wrote in his column, and I love his writing. You know, Cal Thomas syndicated, writes for the Los Angeles Times, um, is a Christian. Actually, is affiliated with Liberty University in days gone by and uh, is uh, just a godly man. I love to always hear his insight and read it even weekly as it's syndicated in the papers. But he had one column that was entitled, Remembering Dad. I love this very much. And he writes in the byline, I wish more boys today could have had fathers like mine. He's been gone 20 years this month. Funny how when I write this, I wonder if some writers might think he walked out on us, as many do. No, Dad left us in the only way he would. He died in June of 1983. I still miss sending him a Father's Day card and finding a present beyond the predictable tie he might like. Shopping for a card by an anonymous rhymer that expressed the right sentiment was always a challenge. So I wrote notes, and eventually I wrote a letter telling him how much I loved him and what he meant to me. He framed it, and he hung it in his office. People of a certain age think he was... Lowell Thomas, the famous newscaster and Fox movie tone newsreel narrator of another era. That's because Lowell and I share the same last name in the same profession. But no, Clinton Samuel Thomas was nothing special to the world, only to his family. He was special to my brother Marshall, who was born with a defect diagnosed as mental retardation. How Dad treated my brother taught me a profound lesson. He spent a lot of money on doctors and in search of the right environment for my brother after keeping him at home for years when many suggested institutionalization. My father survived the Great Depression and World War II. These experiences burnished his character and honor and made him realize that things are less valuable than people family, and relationships. We never lacked the essential things as I grew up, and I did not miss luxurious things. I remember when he took me to buy my first suit and told me at the age of 12 how I was becoming a man. I recall the baseball games and the smell of hot dogs and real grass and how good it felt doing, good, good, uh, doing guy stuff with him. I inherited no money, But I got his fishing tackle box, priceless. Are too many men uh, too busy to be more than biological fathers today? Have they convinced themselves that more hours on the job to buy more stuff is of greater importance than inhabiting their place in the home and their position as their father, uh, as father in their children's hearts? My recent high school reunion concluded with a tour of the old building. When we arrived at the gymnasium where I had played basketball, a classmate asked me what I remembered most about those games. I said that while I recall a few shots that actually went in, what I remembered most was that my dad attended every home game. 
I pointed where he sat on the upper row. It is an image burned into my heart and mind. One year he promised a steak dinner to the entire team if we beat our arch rival. We did, and Dad came through. On that night, my teammates seemed to love him as much as I did. My father treated my mother with honor and respect. He never let me call an adult by his or her first name and demanded that uh, I show respect to my elders. And when he let me drive shortly after my 16th birthday, he made it clear that he had rules for using his car, just as there were rules of the road. When he said uh, he wanted me back at a certain time, if I wanted to drive again, I returned at the appointed hour until I could buy my own car. Not a family on my boyhood street experienced divorce. Now divorce is common. Then a battered woman was a rare occurrence. Now it is far too frequent. Boys were taught by their fathers to respect women. Most guys I knew in high school were virgins. Though many lied about it, safe sex meant saving it for marriage. My favorite picture is of Dad feeding me a bottle when I was six weeks old. He's dressed in a suit and a large smile. His right hand holds the bottle while his left is cupped under my shoulders. It is the picture of security and serenity. I wish more boys had fathers like mine. I wish even more that mine was still with me. That is a piece of gold. Well, let's look through this curriculum that uh, Moses, uh, Moses, <laughs> that Solomon uh, presses upon his children. Uh, the first essential in verses 5 and 6 of this uh, dad's curriculum for his children. Dad, teach your children to put their trust in the Lord. Look at 5 and 6, and these are well-known verses. You should memorize these if you haven't. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Dad, teach your children to put their trust in the Lord. You trust Him. You give that living example, and then you teach them with your words. Impress it upon their hearts. You're the key guy with that. I mean that. Everybody at times puts their trust in somebody or something, don't they? We do. We absolutely do. It always makes me laugh when I think of asking for directions. Complete strangers we drive up to, whistle them down on the sidewalk. Maybe that was pre-Garmin days. Maybe it was. I don't know. But we would ask, where is this or that? Oh, go up to the corner, make a right, then at the light, make a left. I mean, we write it down. We don't know if they're complete idiots. But we take them at their word and trust them. And there we go, driving through because some stranger said, we trust them. We get into an airplane, right? And we trust that it was built well. The pilot knows what he's doing. That someone in the tower has made sure the air and the runway are clear and and then we sit down with all of our weight. And I've noticed Americans are getting bigger. That's what they were talking about, the price of tickets. Weighing us, oh, Lord forbid, as we get onto the airplane. But we put ourselves into the seat, don't we? All the way down. 
I don't see some of you there like, mm, I'm not sure on this. I'll only put half of it there. No, no, you're there. We put our trust in all sorts of things and in people. Here Solomon urges his son. He presses upon him ultimately and wholeheartedly, son, put your trust in the Lord. It is with the totality of our being. It means to lean on him for all uh, of life, for salvation, first and most, that we might come to know Christ the Lord as Savior and enter into the finished salvation that is ours as a gift. If you've never trusted Christ, no matter if you're a dad or a mom or you're single or, or whatever, trust the Lord and be saved today. And then live for him. He's trustworthy and dependable. He keeps the stars in place and the sun and the moon and the earth and it, the rotation and the seasonal changes and the seed time and the harvest time. And in all things, he's faithful. You can trust him. He's leading us along. He has a plan and a purpose, and he's good. Trust him. Dad, teach your children to trust the Lord Jesus to be their Savior, but more to trust him for all of life. Get all the un understanding you can get in life. That's what he's saying. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Having said that, get all the understanding you, you can possibly get. Never stop learning. Keep growing. But always remember who you are in your place in this world. You're, never forget you're small and simple and puny and uh, and just you're just arrived, really. You haven't been here this long, and it's almost over. Man knows not his hour. Man knows not his hour. I like to say that you just got off the bus. And don't pontificate on great things that are way beyond you. You know, it's name, rank, and social security number on a good day, right? And to remember a language, David, I'm impressed with that Spanish. But I've learned... Hebrew, Greek, Spanish, Portuguese, and uh, I guess I can remember parts of each of it, but right, Stephen? You knew Spanish years ago. Wow. You don't use it, you lose it. You've got to be careful with it. We just arrived. God is God, and we're not. Get all the understanding you can in your area of discipline and enterprise, but never forget you're a creature, lowly, sinful, and if you're saved, wonderfully redeemed. Human insights are never enough. Never, never we need the Lord. All the wisdom and knowledge one may acquire can never replace the need for full trust in God's superior ways. Trust Him. Trust Him. When the lights go out, Dad, lead the way. Trust Him. Difficult economic times, trust Him. Rally the family around. These are tough times. People are, are having hard times everywhere. Trust the Lord. We're going to walk through this with joy, and we're going to honor the Lord and see what He's going to do. And in fact, it's during the hard times that we grow in grace. God is going to grow us up and teach us some things that we wouldn't learn otherwise. We're going to trust Him. Remembering God's ways are incomprehensible, yet He's trustworthy. Isaiah 55. We should have that up here. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, for, uh, Isaiah wrote for, of, of the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's, uh, he, is, he is omniscient and his ways are far above ours, yet he's trustworthy. This trust requires us to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Whether we're, we're uh, in school, whether we're wondering about career, wondering about choices in life, Lord, what would you have? And we trust him implicitly and explicitly with all of it. Well, the blessing in E that results from this is that God says in verse 6, he will remove obstacles and bring, bring us to the appointed goal. Isn't that a wonderful verse? He'll make your paths straight. What imagery of a crooked path. God will straighten that out. You'll look at it like, whoa, how are we going to do that? And God, bit by bit, as we trust, as we lean upon him, straightens the path out and makes our way easier than what it first appeared to be and causes us to arrive at our destination. Proverbs teaches us, and you should learn this as a lesson, that those who follow wisdom have an easier, less problematic life. In essence, they have fewer problems. Look, if you're a carpenter, you're going to drive a lot of nails. I read in the paper this week, <laughs> made me laugh, that uh, those, air, uh, those uh, air nail guns, be careful those, Matt. They are something. Uh, let me back up. I, when I was in college, I saw a guy put a bumblebee, bumblebee flying around against the wall with a, with a nail gun. I was really impressed with that. But uh, Greg tells me more is probably the number one reason people come into the emergency room. They're up uh, doing something with a nail gun and they're pointing in the wrong direction. Anyway, the paper this week, did you see it? The guy had a two-inch nail in his head. I think it was through his hat, and he didn't even know it. <laughs> didn't have a sweating headache or anything. I don't know where it came from. Maybe his buddy putting the shingles up there <laughs> picked up an extraneous nail right into his head. Listen, with, uh, with being a carpenter, you know, there's certain ways you drive a nail in. And I have, uh, I've goofed up at times and whacked my nail and did a little hopscotch around the room with the pain thriving. You ever do that? Am I the only one? You know, and life is like that. If you do God's wisdom, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot less hitting the nail uh, with the hammer and less pain. Uh, God knows us. He knows life. He knows how we're made, and he's given us this direction, and we're thankful for it. Your life will be less problematic. Trust the Lord. If you need any other encouragement, pull out your money. I don't think it would be had today with our present uh, Washington crew, but there was a day in which they voted to put in God we trust on our coinage and on our bills. Isn't that amazing? You give somebody money, ever think about it? You're giving them a track. How about that? You're passing it out. Uh, the news that uh, God is trustworthy and dependable as you give your fives and tens and twenties and all the rest, right? Dad, teach your kids to trust the Lord. The second uh, lesson in this curriculum from father to, to children, father to son, verse 7 and 8, Dad, teach your children to fear the Lord by avoiding an inflated opinion of oneself. Look at verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. A father to his children now. 
Stop that. Quit that. Get, get a grip here. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And the result of that, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Today, many are filled with pride because of learning. And there's a sense where learning puffs up. We learn something. We learn it well. We realize not too many people possess this, and it puffs us up. Or maybe our accomplishments. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves, you know. And that's the day that, that with pride, it's just everywhere. Not just Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest, remember? Or position, accomplishment, or wealth, all kinds of, we're all wealthy by world standard. It's sinful. It causes many in the midst of this arrogance to forget God by, arrogant, by elevating themselves to a godlike position. Don't be fooled by this. Here's a godly <clears throat> father saying, uh, get a grip. Don't forget here who you are. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And this is uh, a wisdom that uh, is a prideful, arrogant wisdom. Don't be fooled by that, son. You're really not much, and I know you came, uh, you came from me. I love Bill Cosby when he said of his father, he said, uh, in disappointing one day, I know you, I made you, I can take you out, and I can make another one. <laughs> Don't be wise. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It makes me laugh. Dad, impress upon your kids the greatness of God. He alone is great. You're not great. He is. We need to fear him. This isn't a trembling. Now, if you don't know him as Savior, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry, holy God. And you will. You will stand before him. Life is short. Heaven is forever. Hell is the place you don't want to be. It is the gospel, pure and simple. And he is awesome and fierce, fearful. But if you know him, it means to revere him and to speak of him only in the most loftiest of terms. It's like a man being in love with his wife, loving her dearly, right? And wouldn't you imagine someone saying something crude or terrible about her? What would that man do? Uh, would he cower in the corner? Would he say nothing? He'd be offended by that. He would uh, go and say something, if not more. Uh, to that one who would disparage the object of his love. And we ought to have that love, that reverence for God. We ought to teach that to our children. It is so important. This fearing will, of God will urge us to hear and to keep his word, for he knows all things and he'll judge us. Let's uh, hear the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is, again, specifically for dads to teach uh, their children. This great Shema passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress, key word there, impress them on your children. Talk about them. Actually, 24-7 is the idea. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 24-7, Dad, we're to be teaching our children the greatness, the wonder, the glory of God in His Word. It's a never-done enterprise. Only this, only this will 
will help keep your children from the evil of pride, the sin of the devil. Blessed, Psalm 112 once says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Well, the blessing, look at C, that results from this, God gives health and vigor to the body. That's what he says in our passage. In verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Your spiritual and your physical well-being go hand in hand. Do you know that? Dr. McMillan wrote a book a number of years ago. Dr. McMillan, an MD, was entitled None of These Diseases. Some of you have read that maybe. It's been out for a number of decades now. But in it, this medical doctor does research on all the things that are found in the Word of God And if they're disobeyed, how sicknesses and illnesses and diseases uh, can, uh, you can open the door to these things, all sorts of things. I mean, we commonly think about, you know, don't worry, you'll get an ulcer, you know, don't do this, don't do that, these kind of things. Well, our soul and our body are related in a world that believes only in materialism, which is grossly wrong. They're connected, like connecting the dots. And your soul and your physical well-being are connected directly. And dad, teach your children to fear and stand in awe and reverence of God by avoiding an inflated opinion of themselves, and you will save them from the perils and illnesses and other things that could come their way. Well, the third a lesson in this curriculum, verses 9 and 10, Dad, teach your children to give to the Lord. Look what he writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth, son, from verse 1. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Dad, teach your kids to be generous. Somebody said it so well, right? You make a living by what you earn, but you make a life by what you give. Isn't that good? And may the first of, the, of your increase be given to the Lord and to His work, and uh, you'll be blessed by it. You'll be a, certainly a better manager of the remaining percentage. You'll have to be. Somebody said most people waste 10% at least of what comes in. I think people waste far more than that. And if you give that, and give that with joy, you honor the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, look at A. In Israel, to honor God with the first fruits was a way of expressing both gratitude and trust. We give thanks to the Lord. He made, uh, in that agrarian day, the plants grow and the crops to give their yield. It was God who sent the sunshine and the rain. Well, we live a couple steps, most of us, from the field and the cultivation of that. And, uh, and we ought to recognize all of us in giving the first fruit. We give it with thanks to God. God loves a cheerful giver. And don't give it. If you don't give it with the right attitude, you lost any and all the benefit of that. Those are spiritual issues. Give it with thanks to the Lord. I always find out with preaching and teaching on giving that uh, it blesses the hearts of those who enter into the giving to the Lord's work. And those that become sour like lemonade well, then it's extremely convicting because they're not, and they need to be. Oh, life is giving, giving to the Lord. And we give, and it's a statement, what? Of our gratitude, but more of our trust. 
We give the first fruit is a sign that we're trusting the Lord to bring in the rest. The first fruit is the sweetest, and we give that to the Lord, our best. Not the leftover. You read that in the Old Testament. You give over, what king is worthy of these? These muted, sickly sheep? Get them out of here. You give, we give the Lord our very best. And we ought to do that. And Dad, we ought to teach that by example as we, as we do that. And uh, we show our children that life is giving. Not only your finances, but we're talking about that, but giving and being a blessing and a help. We give of our time. We give of our talent. We give of our resources. Random acts of kindness uh, be above and beyond that we trust the Lord and we're waiting on Him to bring in the rest. Dad, you're a key player in that. Don't be a no-show. By giving our ties, God's people clearly acknowledge God and His help. He is a source of all wealth. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, 1. It's His. It's His. It's not yours. Yours to use. And through our giving, we honor the Lord. That is, we give Him His rightful place in our life. That He is number, number one. Well, the blessing, what are they? The blessing we find in verse 10 that results from this is that God promises to fill the barns. I don't have a barn. Well, he's using the imagery of that ancient day. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Well, what's the idea here? The idea is that God will supply and bless the remainder so it'll be more than enough. God has never forgotten what your needs are, and he promises Matthew 6.33, to take care of your needs. Now, our problem is we have a tough time separating needs from greeds or what we want, needs from wants, right? Or the case of the gimmies. But I found the word meets not only our every need, but so many of our desires. He blesses us and fills us. I mean, it's full to overflowing. That's the point. And it's so beautiful. It's wonderful. Well, in general, look at this, the old uh, Puritan expression. In general, it's true that godliness does result in gain and that piety does bring prosperity. What do I mean by that? That godliness, if if you're industrious and you work hard and you're careful with your management and you honor the Lord bit by bit, you'll notice there's prosperity in your life and in your family You'll have something in the bank and something ahead. And as God grows you, you see what I mean? If you're a drunkard or uh, you live a licentious life or you're, a, you're addicted to gambling and, and all some of the other evils, uh, that, uh, you're going you're to be penniless. You, you will not have prosperity and uh, all the rest that goes on with that. So that's all that that means. And so, in general, it's true that godliness does result in gain and piety and prosperity. It's not the prosperity gospel that God wants everyone millionaires. No way. Most of us couldn't handle it. That's the truth of it, and God saves us from that. Of course, on the sheet, there are exceptions to this godliness and in, in, in resulting in gain. Uh, otherwise, God is is simply, well, let's invest in God like a mutual fund rather than honoring him. People wouldn't honor him. 
so on. So dad, teach your dad, dad, teach your kids to be givers. Give them their nickels and dimes when they're young to take a portion, a tithe, and give that to the Lord's work, and to give, give. You make a living by what you do. You make a life by what you give. The fourth and last subject of Dad's curriculum in Proverbs 3, Dad, teach your children to embrace God's discipline as for their good. A tough subject. Discipline, right? My son, verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Teach your children to embrace God's discipline as for their good. Solomon warns his son, do not despise, which means reject it or take it lightly. Uh, the Lord's discipline. Also, don't resent it either. Don't do it. Don't loathe it. Don't abhor it. Why? Because of the results of it. God has something good in mind. Our fathers uh, uh, of yesteryear and disappointing us had good things in mind for us too. It wasn't pleasant for them. Uh, there were times I was disciplined, and I'm here to say I probably only got half the discipline I uh, really deserved. Now, my father's gone, so I say that, unless he'd come back and settle accounts. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's, that's the truth of it. And he did it for my well-being. And, you know, when I think about my father's discipline uh, disciplining and catching me in wrongdoing and calling me short and urging me on and blah, blah, blah. I could go on and on. I know you think pastors fall out of heaven. I got news for you. They don't. They come from moms and dads and grow up as little boys and families, and they have sin natures. Did you know that? If you have any question, ask my wife. <laughs> One at a time, though. But God is good. God is great. And I, you know what? I'm so thankful but I look back at those, those are fond memories. They do stick out in my mind a lot of time when I got a good spanking for this or that or got grounded for a month. You want to get spanked or grounded for the month of July? I thought like, whoa, I'll be grounded. That'd be great. I don't have to suffer pain when I was about yay high. I, after the second week, I was begging him to spank me. <laughs> Beat the tar out of me. I don't care. It's, I want to go to the pool. It's summer. Oh, that was all... Oh. That was a very bad decision I made. But I'll never forget, and, uh, and God is good. But our, God is our perfect Father, and He disciplines us through, through words, through others, through circumstances, through deprivation, through physical illness. He has a myriad of things to get our attention that says in the quietness of our heart, wake up! What direction are you going in? You're going to hurt yourself. You're not where you need to be. You're far afield. Get back. Why? I want the very best for you in a most perfect way. That's the discipline of our Heavenly Father. And therefore, Solomon says to his son, to his children, don't despise it. Look at B, physical punishment, verbal correction are hard to accept. They are. I know that. But they demonstrate God's loving concern for his own. He wants the best for you. He really does. Listen, love and hate are not opposites. Love and indifference are the opposites. Love and indifference. Just don't care. Just let them go. I see parents do that thing. Just let them go. They're raising a disaster that's waiting to happen. God won't let that happen if you belong to him. 
He's going to discipline you and make you and cause you to grow. Why? Because he loves you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and disciplines. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Well, lessons for our life. Number one. Number one, Dad, don't ever minimize the role you play with your children. Pastor your family. Don't ever minimize. It's just me. I'm not much. Well, nor am I. And say, well, it's really her. It's not her job. It's not her job. She can when they're little, right? I remember when the wooden spoon started to break, when my mother would swat us and the thing would fly across the kitchen, broken. And my brother and I would laugh under our breath. There came a point where that wasn't effective anymore. And, uh, and Dad was there, and Dad was there in a big way. And we learned, whoa, whoa, you are important. Don't ever minimize your role. It's not your wife's role to teach the spiritual things. Don't do that. The things of career and life and physical fitness and spiritual a love for the Lord. These are yours. They're yours together, but they're yours. Don't advocate that. Don't ever minimize your role. Number two, Dad, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and teach your children to do the same. You know what? They'll never get over it. They'll never get over it. And in a few shakes of the calendar, we'll, uh, all of us at a certain age, we'll be out of here, right? We'll be gone. We'll come and cry at each other's funeral. Of course, unless you go first, then you won't be crying in heaven. And we'll go out and have lunch after and remember the stories, and we'll be gone. But in some future day, your children will stand and say, you know what? My dad loved the Lord with all his heart. He loved him. He loved the Lord. He loved his family. If you've noticed anything at all about that Tim Russert's tribute that's been on NBC in the, in the last day and a half, he is a man who, who loved, his, uh, loved his family, loved his dad, loved his son Luke, Loved his church, talked a lot about that. Loved his Buffalo Bills. Can't be all wrong, right? There are only a few things. And you know what? The longer it goes on, the fewer things people remember about you. What is it that you want your loved ones to remember? What is it? Number two on here, could there be anything better? But your kids know that dad loves the Lord with all his heart, his soul, his strength. Man. Teach your kids to do the same. Number three, if these things are important for, for dad to teach, then each of us should embrace them for ourselves. I don't want this just to be a message for dads, and it is primarily being Father's Day, but this isn't, this, these are things for every one of us here. Women and children, men, uh, guys that are unmarried, uh, ladies, they're for all of us. Each one of these four elements of this uh, godly curriculum. Embrace them. Number four and last, the first step I'm always reminded is the gospel of Christ. You must first come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must do that. You must. You must. At the end of the day, it's, I always ask myself, did I impress upon folks their need to trust the Savior and be saved? You must be saved from the penalty of your sin. Receive Christ the Lord in a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. It is the free gift of salvation to them that believe. Oh, put your faith and trust 
in the Lord. And I close with this final little poem by an unknown author entitled, Just Like His Dad. Well, what are you going to be, my boy, when you have reached manhood's years? A doctor, a lawyer, an actor great, moving throngs to laughter and tears? But he shook his head as he, he gave reply in a serious way he had. I don't think I care about any of them. I want to be like my dad. He wants to be like his dad, you men. Did you ever think as you pause that the boy who watches your every move is building a set of laws? He's molding a life you're the model for. Whether it's good or bad depends on the kind of example set to the boy who'd be like his dad. Would you have him go everywhere you go? Would you have him just uh, do just the things you do and see everything that your eyes behold and woo all the gods you woo? When you see the worship that shines in the eyes of that little lovable lad, could you rest content if he gets his wish and grows to be just like his dad? It's a job that none but you yourself can fill. It's a charge you must answer for. It's a duty to show him the road to tread ere he reaches his manhood's door. It's a debt you owe for the greatest joy on this old earth to be had this pleasure of having a boy to raise who wants to be just like his dad.